Hey guys, welcome back to Down the Line. It's Sagar and Sean back with another episode. Um, so today we're joined by Mr. Gollins, um, president at Texas Children's Pediatrics and former financial analyst for Memorial Hermann, as well as the Houston Methodist. Mr. Gollins, it's great to have you with us. Thank you guys for having me. Please call me Dan. All right, Dan. So what what is your educational background and what did you envision yourself doing after undergrad? Yes, I went to University of Central Florida for my undergrad and my master's. Um, Actually got into college thinking I wanted to do something with physical therapy or maybe athletic training. So I started down that road. Um, Did my undergraduate degree, ended up just doing it in general health sciences, uh, but still wanted to get into the physical therapy world. Once I got to my anatomy physiology classes, realized that memorizing from books and, and, and doing those labs was really not for me. It was not how my brain brain was functioning, but knew I wanted to, to still stay in healthcare um, and really still enjoyed the, the analytical aspect um, and the finance side. So uh, made that transition towards a uh, master's in healthcare administration. And, and uh, that's kind of led me on my, my journey to where I am today. Perfect. Um, so currently you are the president of Texas Children's Pediatrics. Um, so what does your day-to-day life look like? Um, and do you feel like this position is typically for someone that has a medical background or does have, like, is having a medical background necessary? Yeah. So I think, you know, day-to-day, especially with COVID is, uh, a, an evolving process as we've, as we've navigated the pandemic here. What I would say is, you know, there's of course a lot of meetings, um, but really it's, it's, making sure that in my role as a president of the organization that I'm just breaking down the barriers for my my team. So breaking down whatever barriers my operations team is running into um, so that they can do their job and support our physicians, support our staff to ultimately provide the, the highest quality care for our patients and for our families. So if I'm if I'm not doing that, then I'm, I'm failing because right now, you know, more than ever, we need to make sure that we're there to support our families, support our patients, um, who need that care or who are looking to get that care in this this time of uncertainty. You, you know, from a medical degree background, what I would tell you is I think it it honestly, I don't know that it de- matters 100%, but I think it, it, it depends on your support system. So I have a, a chief medical officer that is my partner in crime. Um, I, I don't do anything without him there at the table. We also have a really strong core of our physician executives um, that help us lead, that allow us to run ideas by them, support us in our strategy, that give us real-time feedback, and they're practicing pediatricians. So I think that's a really key component is we have to make sure we we partner with the physicians um, and and allows us to be a little bit more successful in the future. You know, it certainly can't help, or I'm sorry, certainly can't hurt to uh, have that medical degree um, and have that background for sure but I don't think it's a necessary component if you have the right team around you uh, to make to make it successful. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, going back to after your master's, uh, you entered as a financial analyst with a Methodist and then subsequently Memorial Hermann. Um, I'm wondering what exactly does it mean to be a financial analyst and what kind of projects did you work on and really what motivated you to go into this field? Yeah, so uh, I got a, a really great opportunity um, to move from Florida back down, or move from Florida to Houston, uh, with with Houston Methodist as a financial analyst, and you know I think that 
I look at that role and I'd say it's like the Swiss Army knife. It's a uh, like a Marine. So you're you're in my eyes, you had I have the ability to do kind of anything and everything that involved numbers, analytics, strategy. So particularly at Houston Methodist, a lot of the work I did evolved around physician dashboards and looking at quality metrics, looking at productivity metrics. Um, I worked I worked a lot on pr- practice acquisition. So how do, who do we want to acquire? How do we acquire them? What's the financial performa look like? Helped out in budget, helped out in physician compensation models. So there was a lot of numbers and in, in data, but then it was that there was this other part of the role where it was strategy. And so how do you take that information and, and really drive strategy uh, for the future? And so I had a, a lot of great opportunities um, there. I'm still very close with the, my boss who hired me. Um, we, we, we still talk, you know, at least once a week. And so that led me to a, a similar opportunity with Memorial Herman. And that when I was there really focused on, again, practice acquisition. So they were in a period of growth and that allowed me to, again, utilize what I had learned at Methodist, um, future skills that I would learn uh, through, through my time at Memorial Herman and, and really, again, put the practice of the data into the strategy component. Um, so, you know, when I look for, when I look at my team, uh, today at Texas children's and my financial analysts that we have on the team, they're doing everything again from practice acquisition work, financial analysis, physician compensation, but they're also helping us on strategy. So they're helping us look at quality data. They're at the table when we're having conversations with our payers to talk about value-based care contracting. They're having conversations with our physicians around concerns they might the concerns that the physicians might have related to patient data. Um, so they're, they're, they're really involved in everything and anything that is a, that involves numbers or strategy. I think it's really key to have folks that are strong, um, in that, in that background that allows you to really take that information and, and use it right now with the, you know, what EMRs are set up, we have more data than we'd ever thought possible. And so if you don't use it appropriately, you know, so it's kind of a waste. And so we really look at it as an opportunity to take that information and, and really make something of it and make really key decisions off of the information that we have at our fingertips. Um, and, and, and so that's what I've tasked my, my finance team to do, my strategic team to do um, with the data that they have. So, so going off that, how exactly would you say that you determine, you know, like the fair market value for compensation plans for physicians? And, and also what, you know, like, do you have like a background in like financial analysis or accounting that like kind of prepared you for this? Or is it something that you like picked up along the way? So I have a little bit of a background. So my master's program had some basic accounting classes, finance classes, um, did some economics, uh, work when I was an undergraduate uh, as some of my additional coursework that I had taken on. But I'd say for, for me, it was just kind of how my mind's always functioned. I've always been a analytical thinker, um, thinking through processes. And so that's been, was kind of helpful to me and every, everybody operates a little differently. And so I, I think when what I found is there are certain key questions that you may ask somebody or, um, talk through certain processes and, and those folks may be stronger in the you know analytical field than others. And then there's parts of being a, a financial analyst that are just 
How well do you know Excel? How well can you do formulas and write code and create macros? And so I think all of that stuff, they don't teach you that in college. They don't teach you how to write a if then statement in college in Excel. They don't teach you how to create macros and do data joining and database creation and all that. But I think that's a, that was a key component of my job that I learned along the way. Um, Google is a great source for all that information and, you know, you pick things up. And, and so I, I've kind of self-taught from, from that perspective, but that was, that has been really key. I mean, it's something I still do today. You know, I'll, I'll ask for people to just send me raw data and I'll run my own data analysis. I'll write my own formulas. I'll create my own macros, um, but it was all self-taught. It's not anything that I, I necessarily learned in college, but it's just how my mind functions. Um, and, and you just learn and you, you learn through your experiences. So I'm not asking the same questions today that I, that I would have asked maybe 10 years ago. And, um, you just continue to learn, learn more questions to ask, how to dive a little deeper, dig a little deeper, uh, into, um, into some of that data that, that drives to whatever answer you're, you're trying to find. That's really awesome. Um, so how do you think a finance background, like in, as a financial analysis, has helped you with now a position in healthcare administration? Like, do you think your two roles are interconnected in any way, or like has one helped you uh, go into the other? Yeah, for sure. I think, um, so, so to give some background, I took over this role in January, and my boss, um, after 26 years in the organization, it was really looking to, to retire and, and spend some more time with her family. And so she came from a nursing background. She was an RN by trade and spent many, many years at the, at the bedside. And so we have a, a different skill set. I, I have a finance background. I am not an operations person. I'm not a clinical person. Uh, but I think it is, it has challenged me to learn the other sides of the business. It has challenged me to learn more on the clinical roles. It has challenged me to learn more on the operations side. Uh, but what, what hasn't changed is, is managing people and making sure you have the right people around you and the right team, right team around you. So, you know, the way I look at it is, Hey, I'm, I'm really strong at finance. I'm really strong in accounting. I have a really good finance and accounting team. That's great. But I, I know, I don't know as much about operations and I've got two really strong assistant vice presidents of operations that know the business. They know how to run operations. They know how to run our clinics or our urgent cares. They know how to run our, our quality team um, or, or do various other things. And so I think that you don't have to be great at everything. You have to recognize where maybe you're deficient or you have a weakness and you'll learn and you'll grow. And I'm sure I will be better at operations in five years than I am today. And, and that's great, but I know that's not an area I'm ever going to be that strong in. And so I got to make sure I have the right people in place. And so have a good core team of, of operations leaders. We have a, a physician partner that is again, right up, you know, right by me side by side. And so all of those things are really key in order to make this business run. And, and ultimately, yes, we're a business and we're here to serve our, our patients and our, and these kids in Houston and in Austin and college station. And we got to, to be there for them every day when we can. Um, and to do that, our operations needs to, to run as smoothly as possible. And it starts with, it starts with our operation leaders, our executives, our directors, our assistant directors, our managers, um, and, you know, at Texas children's, our CEO likes to say, everybody is a leader and it's true. 
you know, whether, whether you're at a, a front office position all the way up, you know, to our, to our CEO, everybody has a, a role they can play in being a leader. And that's really key. You know, I, I'm not at the practices every day. Our manager, our directors, our assistant directors, they're not at the practices every day, but that front office person is, they're dealing with those patients on a daily basis. They can lead, they can lead and do the right thing. They can provide a great customer experience and the leadership might look and feel different, but everybody's a leader and everybody has to uh, kind of own that um, throughout the process. Um, so I also think considering your finance background and your healthcare administration background, you would have a really interesting perspective on this, but how do you see like insurance reimbursements changing in the future? And um, like with the potential Medicare for all bill, um, and like, how do you think hospitals will adapt to that? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, so we are in a unique perspective. I think if you asked Memorial Hermann, Houston Methodist, any adult-based system, they're already experiencing that today. So the adult market is significantly ahead of where we're at in a pediatric market. But we really jumped in feet first. And well, I guess I should say we, we put our toe in the water um, doing some value-based care contracting and have slowly moved into a risk-based model for, for some of our payers. But I... I I would say it's headed in that direction and it's already there. So payers are moving into a place where you have to be able to prove that you're not only high quality, but that you can also reduce costs. So you're ultimately putting the, the patient's best um, interest at heart. And it's not necessarily about that, that bottom line. And so, um, you know, we've, we've experienced that today. We're, we're experiencing that right now. We know it's coming from other payers and it just honestly depends on, on where they're at. Uh, but I think it's going to really shift from this, how many people, can, patients can you see, how many surgeries can you do, how long are patients being, you know, are they staying in the hospital to ultimately, like, how healthy can you keep them? And I'm going to give you this $100 for keeping that person healthy. And if it costs you 200 to take care of them, then you're, you're minus that 100. But if you can keep them healthy, then you're positive, you're up, you're upside 100. So, uh, you know, it's pediatrics is just different. Um, it's behind. It's certainly behind an insurance reimbursement uh, change. It's also um, there's some uniqueness to it that's maybe a little different than the adult market. But I, I think it's it's headed certainly headed in that direction. Yeah, I think the Medicare for all component. It's without you know getting into the the politics of it. I think everybody should have the ability to to get appropriate care and, and get the care that they need. And I think the the struggle is. How do you appropriately reimburse for that care? And, and I think that's that's the ultimate question because right now, if you said, "Hey, we're going to pay everybody at the Medicare rate," you'd have a whole lot of people getting out of the business because they couldn't afford to work. And and I don't think, especially right now in a pandemic, I don't think you can have a, afford to have people getting out of the the business of healthcare. And, and so I think that's the one component. How do you incentivize people to take that particular insurance or support that particular model um, without without going crazy but at the same time you don't you don't want to de-incentivize them to exit or only see a private payer or only see a certain type of patient and I think that's one of the things that we're really proud of you know we have many locations that almost all our locations take Medicaid patients we have locations that um, will see patients regardless of their ability to pay, so non-resource non, non -resource patients. At the end of the day, it's taking care of the kids, 
is what we are about. And so I think that's one of the things that I really love about our organization and that, you know, we're our mission at the end of the day, do what's right for the families of, of Houston and Austin and these kids. And, and, you know, it'll, it'll have a positive impact in the end. We're, we're just focused on making sure they're getting the best care possible. Awesome. So switching gears a little bit, do you have any advice for pre-meds interested in healthcare finance? Um, are there any specific activities they should be doing now um, or like any kind of like majors or courses that, that you would recommend? Oh, uh, you know, I think if you're, if you're really interested in it, take up, take an economics course, take a, you know, entry level accounting course, statistics. I think those are some of the things that will tell you whether or not that's an area you really want to get into. Uh, the other piece of it is get involved in local, local uh, organizations. So um, ACHE or HFMA, which is the Financial Management Association, both of those I think are great resources. They don't necessarily require you to sign up for courses, right? You don't have to, have to pay to complete a, a course or being a, or get stuck somewhere you don't want to be, but they will allow you to interact with folks that are finance driven people or have a finance background or have some sort of um, financial operational component to their job where you can ask those questions, you can interact, you can be a part of the discussions. And you really see is that, does that have an interest? Um, I think the other thing is I wouldn't get, again, I wouldn't get so stuck on that. It's, you we, we always say um, with our CMO, you know, he's, he's got enough information to be dangerous. And so like, how do you know just enough and you'll learn stuff on the job, but you don't have to be an expert. I think there are always going to be people there to support you. And you got to make sure again, that as you grow in your role or as you move throughout an organization, you're surrounding yourself with the right people to make sure you have the right knowledge, um, but you also have the right support system in place uh, to, to help you going forward. Awesome. Um, and one last quick question. Mm -hmm. uh, so according to a study by Stanford, 70% of primary care physicians claim that um, electronic health care records contribute greatly to physician burnout and take valuable time away from physicians. So I know you've had some experience dealing with, or at least managing um, EMRs. So like, how do you think they can be improved in the future? Yeah, I think this is like the million dollar question, right? Because, yeah. um, the EMRs are, are extremely important in, in what, what we all do. I think we've seen, especially throughout the pandemic. So for us, for example, Texas Children's is one EMR. So when we have a patient that is one of our primary care patients and they get sick on a night in at night or on the weekends and they end up in our urgent care, those urgent care physicians can see exactly what's going on with that patient's history. And if that patient ends up in the emergency room or gets admitted to an inpatient unit, those doctors on the hospital side can, can see that they had an urgent care visit or had a primary care visit. So I think there's a really strong argument for why we need an EMR system. Um, but this, we, we've battled this question all the time. Um, so for us, we have three physician champions, we'll call them, that really lead efforts to, to minimize the number of clicks. So can, can we reduce it from 20 clicks to 10 clicks? So that we know that is a, a contribution for the, the burnout component. Um, we have people that have trialed scribes. So they have someone in the room with them that can scribe their entire medical conversation and the physician can face to be face to face 
with with the patient and that has certainly helped uh, and i think that we need to figure out ultimately how, how do we leverage technology to do that right how do we use the technology to to leverage that face-to-face -to -face inter interaction versus physicians face to computer to patient and, and taking that computer component out of it we've got so much ai nowadays um, we should be able to take that technology and really use it to to leverage that that component right i mean that's the thing i think we're trying to figure out is how do we how do we leverage technology and just stop doing things the way we've always done them and do things using some new options for technology um, i think more to come on that i i don't have the million dollar answer but i I do think we've got to, someone, someone's going to disrupt the market and they're going to come out with this AI technology that allows the physician to just speak freely and document it in, into the chart and allows the physician to have that face-to-face -face interaction. Um, but ultimately then the EMR is not going away. Um, we just need to figure out how we make, make it less intrusive to the, the care that the physicians are, are ultimately providing. Um, very interesting. Um, but, yeah, it seems that our time is up. Mr. Gollins, uh, thank you so much for speaking to us. And it really was a pleasure getting to know more about your perspectives. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Wish you wish you all the best of luck. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, thank you guys for listening. We hope you enjoyed and we'll see you in the future. Peace.